Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with 19 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. also have an MBA in finance and have been helping individuals and corporations for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show. Um, we're right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. You can also go to our website, moneymd.net, and click in the top right-hand corner and stream us. Uh, probably not too many people out this morning. Um, probably you know, not. You, know, still you might be streaming tough. us on your cell phone, but this if you're is, like the rest of us. That's right. Or you can you can get us at 1230 a.m. as well, but uh, streaming is a good way to do it. Yeah, it's a real good way to do it. Yeah, you can also download the TuneIn radio app on your smartphone and listen to us while you're sitting around the house trying to stay warm with no power or, uh, you know, hopefully you have your power back by now. Yeah, maybe but you're lucky enough. There, there's about, I'd say, I'm guessing maybe half the people have power in this area. Back. What a what a last interesting week, huh? It's been an exciting week, I tell you. It's nothing nothing funner than camping in your own house. Oh, uh, I don't know. I, the first couple hours, my son was saying, "Dad, this is really fun." And a couple hours later, he's like, "I'm tired of this." You know, I don't really enjoy camping anyway. Yeah. But camping in your own house while yeah. trees are falling around you, and you know, my workshop had a big tree fell on it, and it's just no fun. You know, I struggle. I had a thought. I thought I was ready. I had a generator, and you know, went out there and. Went to fire up the generator. I could not get it started for the life of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty good with small engines. Yeah. You know, I did all the tricks I can think of, yeah, including ether and checking the spark. I have a good spark. You know, put ether straight down through the, the spark plug hole. Nothing. Hmm. Like it won't fire. I don't, I don't get it. It's beyond me how a spark does not ignite ether. But, <laughs> you know, I guess it was just, yeah. it was just our week, wasn't it? What a, t- what a tough week. It's been a tough week. It was. But that doesn't mean we don't have some great information for you right here. We're going to improve the week right here because we got some stuff for you that you're going to listen to. Um, You know, we're going to start off here, though, John, talking about real estate. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get a lot of questions again about is it time to invest in real estate? You know, the market's coming back and demand is up for particularly for homes. And um, so, you know, it's enticing. You know, a lot of people want to own a vacation property and call that their investment. And, mm-hmm. you know, so but there's a lot of ways you can invest in real estate. So we're going to dig into that and talk about the pros and the cons. And is this time to add this to your portfolio? Yeah, that's a great article. And then we're going to follow that up with a, an article on reverse mortgages. It's kind of we're titling it Reverse Mortgage 101 because we're going to get into some of the basics and some uh, interesting um, developments that have that have occurred in some instances where people are signing up for reverse mortgages and it's not turning out like they had anticipated. So stick around for that. And then we're going to follow up with an article about um, the baby boomers and, um, you know, looking at uh, – uh, you know, their retirement and, and, and yeah, joblessness and things like that. Yeah, they're dropping out of the labor force, and it is, it is putting a lot of pressure on the economy. Yes, you know, it is. And wages. It's not, it's not 
it's depressing wages. And so we're going to talk about that. It's a great article and really kind of opens your eyes to a new trend that really we're just on the beginning of this. So yes, it's a front big, end. it's a big trend, something to be aware of. Um, so that's good, good info. Okay, but we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, and I don't know if you knew it or not, but taxes are going to be due here pretty soon. Yeah, that's what I hear. Yeah, I, April you know, 15th. we got a couple I, months. I thought I might actually start working on mine now that I um, you know, had all this time at home. Yeah, got to get I electricity. Was, I was so busy trying to keep wood in this stupid fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> hardly had time to do anything. They didn't put Kathy to work. Come on. Yeah, we've both been working. Yeah, just, I know. Just trying to survive. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, this is from the IRS. And it talks about uh, gifting, and um, th- there's an annual amount that you can gift without any um, additional IRS forms or uh, taxes associated with it, and it's called the um, the, the gift tax. And the the 2014 amount is 14,000, which is the same as it was in 2013. And so basically, what that means is if you had um, a child, both parents could give 14,000 away to that child, or 28,000 per year. And that's in addition to the the five point three million dollars lifetime exemption that the um, current tax status is. So, yeah, five point three. That covers most of us. Yeah, it? I think so. I yeah. think so. And 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 most people aren't gifting fourteen or twenty eight thousand dollars. But occasionally we have clients who come up and ask that uh, they've done a great job saving over time, and that's something they need to know about. Well, it's a great way to get assets out of your estate. You never know what the the estate taxes are going to do. It mm-hmm. could go way back down again, back to a million. And so with 14000 per person, you can get in per couple, you can give twice 20. that, 28000 mm-hmm. And a couple, you and your wife to a couple can give four times that. That's right. So you can get a lot of money out of your state very quickly by doing that. So it's something to be aware of. It's a great estate planning tool. So good financial factor of the week. All right, that leads up to our first topic, though, and that is, is it time to invest in real estate again? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, John, I mean, real estate is its coming back. It's finally recovering. And so it's kind of a natural question to ask, you know, is real estate something you should be adding to your portfolio? And, you know, I got that question just this past week from a client, and, um, and real estate really is starting to pick up steam and popularity again. And you, you see house prices are, are really picking up. You know, I talked to a client in Atlanta, and they said they're, they're in their neighborhood. Houses are selling like hotcakes. Anytime it comes on the market, boom, they're gone. And so, you know, that's pretty enticing for people. Um, but to answer that question, we'll have to look at a bunch of different forms of real estate that you can invest in. So we'll do that here in just a minute. But buying real estate is kind of like buying a camper, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, the idea sometimes is more appealing than the reality. <laughs> you got to know about that, shouldn't mm-hmm. you? Yeah, you we had a camper. camper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Best well, two days were when you bought it and when you sold it. Right, right. right. It's kind of like well, we I, had, a, I had a couple jet skis I had similar <clears> experience <throat> with. But, yeah, I mean, you know, of course, everyone wanted to invest in real estate six years ago when it was going gangbusters. And then real estate and stocks all crashed. No one wanted real, real estate for a while until recently. As it's started to recover and it's becoming more appealing again, you know, but now we're starting to get those questions again, particularly since prices have really begun to rise. And there are a lot of ways to invest in real estate. You can do land, you can do rental properties, vacation properties, even real estate investment trusts. Mm-hmm. Each one kind of has its pros and cons. So you have to know, you know, what fits your situation and, and whether or not to consider each one of those 
Um, so we're gonna we're gonna dig into that here and and give you some ideas. Yeah, some of the questions you have to ask are you know you're looking for income or maybe growth. Um, do you want a passive investment? Uh, or maybe an active involvement. Some people like to be really involved in the, their rental properties. Uh, maybe some people want to do uh, pure investment, um, or maybe they want to use it as well. So those are some of the questions. Of course, you know the big question is: is what's your time horizon, and do you need liquidity? Because you know we all should know that by now that most real estate is not liquid, and you go through a difficult time period. And I mean, I know clients and folks that are still sitting on land they bought six years ago, um, right. starting to move a little bit. But it's still, it's not liquid, so that's a big deal. It t- can take a long time to sell it, yep. And if there's anything we learned in the last six years, and that is real estate can be very illiquid. Mm-hmm. And we some people have learned painful lessons with that here over the last six years or so. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we all know someone that has a horror story about real estate from this past crash we went through a while ago. And I know a couple who recently sank their life savings into some land um, beside their house. And they paid a premium for it, attractive piece of property. Um, it was kind of going to be a long-term investment for them that they were going to pass on to their kids. And, and they went ahead and bought it. But as soon as they completed the purchase, they found out that there was a high-power transmission line oh, that was no. getting ready to go in right through that property. And they had more or less been taken because, you know, they knew nothing about it. There was no way they could have, could have uh, well, I mean, I guess that maybe if they did the right kind of research, mm-hmm. they might have found it, but they didn't find out about it. And now there's nothing they can do about it. And the land was obviously worth a fraction of what they paid for it. Unfortunately, uh, info like that's hard to come by. Each piece of real estate is, is traded infrequently. The market value is very much a matter of opinion and what someone is willing to pay for it at the time. Yeah, and, uh, you know, on the contrary, when you look at the stock market, stocks trade hundreds of times a day. So the price at any moment is determined by a lot of different buyers and sellers, just more of an, a, an active market. So you probably get a better price, you know, than some of the real estate that's been out there. That's right. Well, let's take a look at the four basic types of real estate and some things to consider about each one of those. Um, you know, the first one is, is land. I mean, land obviously could be a good investment if the area around it develops, um, but that typically takes years and, and may not ever you mm-hmm. know develop um and then there's the taxes and regime fees if it's in a neighborhood um those can be very significant in fact i mean kathy and i were looking at a piece of land here not too long ago there's a beautiful lot near us that was overlooking a, a, a beautiful lake um and we were thinking how great it would be if we bought that and just held it until retirement and then maybe we could build there or maybe our kids would build there um real attractive piece of property but I looked up on the county's website. You know, you can do that, log in mm-hmm. and look up what the taxes were. And the taxes were like $3,000 per year. And I sat there and did the math. I said, well, if we hold that for 20 years and we'll pay $60,000 in property taxes alone over 20 years, it may never appreciate. Mm-hmm. You know, you just don't know right. what the value of land is going to do. And so when you start thinking about that as an investment, you know, that's a crazy investment. Yeah. Um, you have to pay out and may not get anything in return. That's it. You know, not to mention if we ever needed the money out, it would be very difficult to sell it for a decent price. So anyway, when we come back from break, we'll talk more about this. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages.
Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break um, about real estate. You know, mm-hmm. is it is it time to start thinking about real estate again? Yeah, we get questions like this periodically, and they've certainly started to increase um, as of late. Uh, real estate prices have recovered. Damn. A little bit, so um, people are getting interested in it again, which I think is good. It shows that um, it is, yeah. you know, getting over the scars of the yesteryear from it's from real good. estate. It's good for the economy, mm-hmm. you know. And real estate's exciting, you know. I mean, people like owning real estate. I think, John, because I mean, you know, particularly a vacation property, that's always neat. You mm-hmm. think, you know, you're you know, a place at the lake or a place at the beach, and and just having property, having acreage, you know, people like that idea. Um, and having rentals, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, there's something kind of sexy almost yes. about having real estate. As we've seen know? this last week, it's sometimes not too much fun. It's not. And that's a perfect <laughs> example. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's you some get cost. A, to... You get a storm, unless you just have property, unless you yeah. just have land. Yeah. Even then, I mean, trees down. I mean, you know. But, yeah, with a house or a rental, I mean, yeah. you got to take care of stuff, right? And it, it's work. Then you have to pay taxes. I mean, there's a lot of things to mm-hmm. consider about real estate and about whether or not it makes sense as an investment for you. So so that's what we're digging into here. And, you know, there are four basic types of real estate. The first one's obviously land, and we talked about that. You know, it can be a good investment, but you've got to really be in the right place. You're going to be paying taxes on it. Um, and you know, if it develops, then that could be a great investment, but it's a very slow investment, very hard to, to sell it when the time comes. Um, so it, it's a very passive type. I mean, just a patient investment. You need to put your money in it and yeah. be happy and just it, keeping it forever. And it can be expensive. You have property taxes, like you mentioned. Um, so, you know, it's not, Ten. um, you know, there's there's some effort uh, financially that goes into property. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't expect. I wouldn't invest in that thinking it's going to do like the stock market mm-hmm. and keep up with the stock market long term. It could, but that'd be unusual. Okay, historically it hasn't done that. Well, then there's vacation properties, which is really my favorite. You know, I would love to own a vacation property if I didn't have to keep it up, <laughs> and and if I like going to the same place all the time, but. That's not really me, so I don't have a vacation property for that reason alone, let alone some other reasons. But, you know, my pro- my real problem with vacation property is always the view. Mm. It's because everywhere I look, I see something needs working on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's always grass to be cut or, you know, limbs well, to be. My, my my mom and her siblings have a beach house. It mm-hmm. used to be my grandmother's. And when I go there, there's always something needs fixing, mm-hmm. and I just feel compelled to to try to fix it. Yeah, and it's not it, like a vacation anymore. It's then it's not like a vacation. Well, you know, to be a vacation property, you know, it has to to produce income like rent to be considered really a true investment. Otherwise, you know, it's just a, an asset, kind of like your house, right? So, um, you know, usually you're talking about a substantial investment with a mortgage, which uh, increases risk. So. You know, vacation properties are, are, it's fun to think about, but it's not, you know, it's not right for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, vacation properties rarely give you enough income to really pay the mortgage, the taxes, and the insurance. So it can be a negative cash flow type investment. It might be break even, but probably not. And so, you know, you, you have a, you have an investment there that's not going to keep up with everything. And so you got to be able to be prepared to put money into it over time. 
Um, and then you have the rental management company who usually wants to take about a third of the income, you know, 25 to 30% of the income. Um, using it's great if you love the place because you're going to be there a lot, you know, <laughs> with, with no variation, right? So you got to think about that. And then, in fact, um, you know, you may feel obligated to use it because it's costing you, and that can be a burden, too. So, you know, you want to go somewhere else on vacation, but you're kind of locked into this one place that you own. Um, so you need to be sure that you really love it if you're going to own a vacation property and you love being there. So land and vacation property, you know, probably negative cash flow investments, not a great attribute for an investment. Yeah, that's right. So you got to consider those two factors of those. Um, then there's rental properties, though. And, you know, rental properties can be cash flow positive if they're done carefully and with enough down, okay? Um, and it could be, um, you know, it could be residential real estate or it could be commercial real estate. But the potential problems are the same with both So, um, because they are very illiquid, right? So we'll dig into that. Um, so if you think a rental property is a passive investment, though, mm. think again. Yeah, we just found that out this last week. My father-in-law has a uh, little rental property on his, on his property, and okay. uh, it got hit by a tree. So, yeah. you know, the renter's not going to be able to be in there for a while. Obviously, electricity's been out, so it's going to take a little bit of work to get that thing back up and running. Well, in our office building, you know, mm -hmm. we have an upstairs that's a rental space, mm -hmm. and I've been trying to rent that now for for ages, for over a year. And you and say that because you want to rent it? Well, yeah. If anybody out there is listening, <laughs> we have some great upstairs space. It is great space. Great location. <laughs> it really is. Great nice location. View. But, uh, you know, it's very hard to rent it, and yeah. I got a deal on it. I mean, I have it listed down to where it's yeah. costing uh, little or nothing. I mean, you can't rent anything right. that size for it. But it's just hard to find people that want upstairs space that are willing to take upstairs space. And it's just – so you got to consider all those factors about real estate. And rentals require maintenance. They require management by you. I mean, if you can't do it yourself, then you're probably not going to make money. Mm -hmm. If you have to hire somebody to do every little thing – you 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 probably are going to eat up all the profits at all. Um, so you know, I know people who have dozens of rentals, but they and they make really good money. But they're handymen, and they it's kind of like their second job, you know. And yeah. they're they're happy to go out and do the work. Yeah, it's a job though. Exactly. It's, exactly. Um, you not, know, not passive. That's right. And, and so, depending on the type of properties, you know, you're probably going to have sometimes renters who don't pay. Uh, so you turn into a bill collector and. I know Tammy and I have thought about real estate investing and just never suit kind of our skill set and what we were looking for. And, you know, but it can be a good gig for a retired handy person who likes managing properties. Otherwise, you know, who are you kidding? I mean, it's you got to make sure it fits because it can be a nightmare. It yeah, really can. that's true. All right. So that's that's rental real estate. And then this last type here is publicly traded real estate investment trust REITs. Um, you know, that's a fund that buys real estate and it passes on the income to you. And I actually own a couple of these and, you know, it's very nice to have something like that in your portfolio that's just paying out a handsome dividend every month. Mm -hmm. I see it hit my checking account. Mm -hmm. It's nice. It's nice to have some inflow routinely into my checking account. You know what I mean? Um, but having said that, I mean, there are some downsides to it. It's like a traded stock. Um, in fact, if you're traded REITs, there are traded stock. I mean, but so it'll fluctuate with the stock market, goes up and down about the same as the stock market. Yeah. So, you know, for that amount of risk, there's obviously some debate as to uh, whether it keeps up with the overall stock market. And 
Maybe sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But um, you know, unlike a small piece of property that you own, a REIT is affected by the overall economy and can have vacancies. And we've seen, you know, some some pretty big drops in, in some of the REITs out there when the markets had a tough time a couple of years ago. That's true, exactly. So, I mean, REITs can um, uh, they can continue their dividend, discontinue their dividends. They can lower their dividends, like any stock. Um, you know, they're typically very illiquid. Um, unless they're a traded REIT, so you have to you have to factor factor all that in. Mm-hmm. I mean, there can be some ups and downs with those. So the bottom line on real estate is that there's some forms that have unique benefits, like using a vacation property is really nice. But I mean, land and vacation property are usually negative cash flow and are very illiquid, terrible trait for an investment. Um, typically, real estate doesn't usually return as much as the stock market. But it can if you get lucky and get it in the right place. Um, REITs are, well, rental properties can create a nice income, but they need active management. This was kind of like a second job, so you got to consider that. And then REITs, real estate investment trust, are passive, and they can create a nice income, but then they have the risk, kind of like the stock market does. Um, so if your investment is your only, if an investment is your only true motivation, then we would recommend a rental or a real estate investment trust. If you're not handy and looking to manage a property, then a REIT really is the only one that makes sense. Yeah, and like any asset class, you probably don't want to have more than 10% of your assets in that one um, you know, asset class. And, and REITs do have a lot of correlation with small value stocks, so it may not add you know, a lot of diversification at the end of the day. So Yeah, that's right. So the takeaways here are the idea of investing in real estate can be exciting, but the reality is that it's a long-term investment. It's usually very illiquid. So, you know, only buy rentals or REIT for a true investment, but limit your and limit your allocation to 10% of your investments, as with any asset class. Um, but if you have questions, give us a call. We'd love to uh, help you sort that out. All right. Well, um, I think when we come back from the break here, we'll go ahead and go to break and... Um, then we'll have the question of the week. But if you have questions for us, email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates during regular business hours at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages and GNN News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. And we are going to um, we'll lead off our second segment here with the question of the week. Yeah, this question is about inherited money, and um, just inherited money from my mom's estate, and want to go out and buy a new home. Should I do it or should I wait? And it's a great question, and I think um, we always recommend just kind of take a step back and yeah, um, a little time. Yeah, evaluate you know different options. Um, it may be okay, depends on the size of the the amount. Um, but you know, if you have some debt and don't have an emergency fund, that may be a better use of it as well. So, and is your retirement taken care of? Yeah, I thought about that. You know, you got this one opportunity probably to set yourself up for retirement or help out with retirement. Yep. So, you know, do you tie it up into a house? I don't know. You just need to look at the whole picture and make sure that's your best priority. And I think your first suggestion of taking a step back, give it six months, you know? Yeah. I would also say go and get some professional help. Go sit down with someone like us. Exactly. um, Another financial advisor. 
someone that's, that you trust and get them to take a look at it and give you some additional advice. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, I hear a lot of a lot of different opinions. I'd even sit down with two or three people mm-hmm. maybe, you know, your tax guy and other people, friends. Okay, good question, though. And um, that leads us up to our next topic here, and that is reverse mortgages. You know, uh, it's an article out of uh, CNN Money, and it says reverse mortgages safer but far from risk-free. Yeah, we're going to get into some of the, the details here. And, you know, for, for, for years, many older Americans who were short on cash really turned to reverse mortgages to solve their, their money troubles. And unfortunately, they found themselves deeper in debt or sometimes even worse, they lost their homes. I mean, that's... That's staggering, and uh, we'll go through some examples here. But new federal rules have made reverse mortgages safer, uh, but there's certainly still some some major pitfalls. And uh, reverse mortgages, you know, here's what they are: they're they're loans that people age 62 or older can take out against their home equity. They're backed by the Federal Housing Administration, and the loan does not have to be paid back until the borrower either moves out. Uh, or dies. But this is interesting, Steve, as we look at this. Um, many borrowers that have run into problems because they took their payments as a lump sum, which is an option, or they spent the cash um, and they spent the cash too freely. So they got a lump sum from it and they went through it and you know bought cars and vacations and so wow. forth. Yeah. They didn't have enough cash to pay for their property taxes, insurance. Some of them had homeowners association bills and they were forced to default on their home. And as of September, Nearly 10% of reverse mortgage borrowers had defaulted on their loans uh, and were in danger of losing their homes, and that's according to the uh, FHA. So uh, 10%, that's a big number. Um, Yeah, I would think a lump sum would be a terrible thing to do with a reverse mortgage. mm -hmm. I mean, it's really a last resort, in my opinion, to, to create income out of your assets. And if you take it as a lump sum, I mean, you're dead if that money runs out. That's right. right. So. You know, and and you got the temptation to spend it on other things, and that would be a real bad situation to be in to have your last asset totally, you know, liquidated or at least taking all the money out of it. Um, But, yeah, new rules launched in October discourage homeowners from taking lump sum payouts by reducing the payment that a borrower receives if they take the entire amount out immediately. Because homeowners who choose a lump sum option could see their payouts now reduced by 10 to 18 percent, depending on some underwriting factors. So the payout on a $140,000 reverse mortgage, for example, could go down to 125000 And so, the you know, if the borrower chooses a lump sum, they're going to face a serious haircut yeah and, and we we both agree that monthly payments you know usually work out better anyway especially for those who live longer which obviously no one knows how long you're going to live yeah and you know even if the payments plus interest to the bar exceed the value of the home the payments continue to come so you know you could live to 103 105 and you could still get the payments that's where getting the if you do have to go this option which we're not big fans of either um, just getting the payments because those are pretty much guaranteed and can, can go forward for a long time. But, you know, when you do a reverse mortgage, it's going to cost you. It's very expensive. Um, there's about a 2.5% origination fee on the first $200,000 uh, borrowed for some loans. There's an upfront, upfront mortgage insurance fee of 2%. And there's a host of other fees that can push the extra cost to like $15,000 or more for a $200,000 loan. Ouch. That's seven and a half percent cost. That's a huge origination cost. It really is huge. And in, in addition, lenders tack on interest charges every month. Some of them have a servicing charge um, of up to thirty-five dollars a month, and 
Others have uh, an, an annual FHA insurance premium of 1.25% uh, of the mortgage balance. And, you know, at the current interest rate of about 5% for a reverse mortgage, plus you look at tack on the service charge and insurance, you know, a lump sum mortgage balance of $100,000 would increase by 6.6% a year, and the debt would double in 11 years to 200000 So, you know, that's why this is a last resort. It's expensive. You're basically Very spending expensive. your heir's um, inheritance. It, if it's something that you can, you know, leave alone, um, you know, but some people, you know, are in a cash crunch, and this is their only option. And if you're, if it's your only option, you got to go into it with your eyes wide open. Yeah, I mean, it's your last major asset, so you really have to be careful with this. Um, and it is very, very expensive, as you mentioned. And all those expenses, they count against the residual value of the home, so there's less left for the real for the estate when the home is finally sold to pay off the mortgage after the borrower either passes away or moves out. In addition, you know, borrowers still have to keep paying the annual property taxes mm-hmm. and the homeowner's insurance and any other homeowners association bills, for example, all those recurring expenses that got many homeowners in trouble in the past, they have to keep paying those. So you got to factor all that in mm-hmm. and you got to make sure the numbers work and you got enough income to pay the recurring expenses. That's why I say, you know, take a monthly income. Don't yes. dare take a lump sum out of this. Thing. I agree. I agree. And, you know, there's some new rules out there, Steve, that require lenders to make sure that uh, borrowers have sufficient uh, income from Social Security maybe pensions and other savings in order to uh, uh, afford both living expenses and these extra charges. And if borrowers run a risk of defaulting, they are required to fund escrow accounts to cover the, the property taxes and some of the other routine expenses on the home. And, you know, one one big issue the new rules really don't address is that many couples take out reverse mortgages in the name of the older of the two spouses in order to maximize the payout. So, you know, cash benefits are based on the borrower's life expectancy. So a 62-year-old um, could maybe get a payout of 140000 on a $300,000 home, and a 73-year-old could get $147,000. Uh, 82-year-old could get 163000 So the, the problem with this is, Steve, when the spouse on the deed dies or moves into a care facility, Lenders take possession of the home. Often they leave the spouse out in the cold. That's, I just can't even fathom. Um, that should be no, bolded, a, and people should understand when they do this what they're getting themselves into. Yeah, that's a very nasty side effect. Oh, that's horrible. You know, that you don't want that to happen. Yeah, I mean, we've heard from a lot of uh, surviving spouses, they say here, getting evicted from their homes. I mean, lots of folks didn't even know. Uh, they were taken off the deed, and they found out that when their spouse died, that they were taken off the deed, according mm-hmm. to this attorney. You know, so um, you know, it's it's a very bad situation. And again, that's why we think it should be the last resort. There are a lot of gotchas in there like that. Mm-hmm. The fact your house is going to be sold, the fact that it's very very expensive. You know, you'd take a home equity loan out if you'd all possible yeah. and just draw money out that way rather than doing this reverse mortgage thing. Yeah, you know, the judge in this case found for the plaintiffs, and the, the uh, judge asked uh, HUD to find a solution. And, uh, you know, what that remedy may has um, will be has not been determined, and HUD declined to comment. But here's, here's the bottom line. Reverse mortgages are, are counterintuitive, and they're much more complicated than regular mortgages which are complicated enough. So, you know, a lot of people we see and hear about and read about sign on the, onto them without thinking um, that they could be put out of their house. So get some second opinions. There is some training or some education that's required before you go with it a reverse mortgage, but 
Um, there's got to be better options. There, there's very few people that should be using this. Yeah, that's a really important topic for retirees, too, so that's a, that's a good topic. All right, that leads up here to our prescription of the week. Did I mention that it's tax time? Yes, you did mention that. You're starting to rub in the pain here, yes, aren't you? I know, I know. Well, you know, got to think about something to get our mind off of all this no power stuff, right? That's right, that's right. Um, I spoke with a couple um, this last week, and they're getting a refund, and um, they're actually going to use that refund towards paying off debt. That's good. They're going to pay off a van, so they're trying to get uh, debt-free following Dave Ramsey's principles. So if you do get a refund, use it wisely. Um, a lot of people use it as forced savings, maybe for vacations or um, buying furniture or whatever. you got to look at your situation, and, and if you have um, debt uh, or you don't have an emergency fund, that would be a great use of, of that um, that money coming in. So you know, sure take a look at your situation. The other thing which we would recommend is – Let's say you get you know four thousand dollars a year um, as a refund. Think about getting that on a monthly basis. It's about three hundred and fifty bucks a month, roughly. Yeah, change your W four. Right? That's right. Change your W four. Get that on a monthly basis, and you can put that then towards your priorities, uh, paying off debt. You know, maybe retirement. Maybe you want to save up for a car or vacation. That's fine, but. Um, saving it up and using it on vacation, it works for some people, but many times those folks don't have emergency funds. So yeah. do some planning on that. And the money's squandered a lot of times. Better better choice, I think, is just to have the right withholding, mm-hmm. change your W-4, um, you know, and then have a budget and have an emergency fund. Don't depend on the government being your savings yes, tool that's right. for you. So um, good good topic. All right, that leads up to a break here, but if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates during regular business hours at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. And I'm here with John Travis, who is Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. And we are starting a new topic here um, at the last quarter of the hour. And that is a new article out of uh, uh, CNN, I believe. CNN, I yeah. believe, yeah. Talking about boomers turn on, tune in, and drop out of the labor force. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting article, interesting phrase too. I'd never seen that phrase, and turns out that phrase was made famous back in the '60s about baby boomers. The tune in, tune on, tune in, and drop, drop out. out. <laughs> and uh, it's, we'll get into that in a second here. But uh, but yeah, I mean, this is a very interesting article, and it's just starting to show a new trend that's really starting to surface hard, and that is about baby boomers that are starting to hit retirement, mm-hmm. John, and you know, discourage them just a little bit. You know, where they're having trouble getting a job, and they're out of there. Yeah. You know, they're like, fine, I'll just leave early, and yeah, I'll work part-time, or won't work at all, or I'll just draw a little more out of my retirement plan, you know, take Social Security early. Mm-hmm. Doesn't take much to discourage them totally out of the market. Yeah, they're done. And that's <laughs> it. And uh, and we got this huge wave that's just now starting. So the question for all of us is, what is this going to do to our economy right. going forward over the next 15 years? What is this going to do to the stock market? What is this going to do mean to you and me? Well, how about inflation? Mm-hmm. You know, there's all kind of questions surrounding this. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, this article starts off. It says, you know, when Robin McLean's generation hit public schools in the 1950s, there were never enough classrooms or teachers to accommodate the bulge. 
she said. So, you know, she's not surprised the latest shock of boomers that are delivering to the U.S. economy is so large. Mm-hmm. It's the people all around her, their friends, they're all retiring. They're, they're finding it very difficult to find work from 55 on. Um, you know, so, I mean, these folks that are retiring from their jobs, uh, they're just ready to move on. You know, they're done with it if they can't get a job. They're out of there. And so that's a lot of boomers are doing now. They're, they're kind of hitting that, that hard phase once mm-hmm. they get laid off or something, thing, things get hard for them. Yeah, they're, they're out. They're out. Yeah, we see that. The, the share of Americans in the labor force, which is known as the uh, participation rate, it, it's hovering around an almost four-decade low as the population ages. And as you mentioned, discouraged job seekers, they're just giving up, you know, <laughs> looking for work. And the Federal Reserve uh, research shows that retirees are at the forefront of the recent exodus, which really blunts the impact of the policy aimed at boosting the economy and the workforce. And, you know, looking back in the last two years, which um, ended in 2013, so uh, 2011 and 2012, actually 2012 and 2013, 80% of the decrease in the labor force participation was due to retirement. It's an, it's an interesting stat. And, you know, while the number of discouraged workers rose sharply during and after the recession, um, the group's ranks, the uh, that group ranks uh, has really hasn't changed in the last couple of years. So it's really the retirees that are driving this um, decrease in the labor force participation. Interesting. Yeah, and I'm not sure I really believe these statistics aren't slanted a little bit, you know, <laughs> uh, to, to make it seem like the administration yeah. and Obama and all that's not – the cause of such a slow economy, but it is an interesting trend because we are on the front end of this really huge trend of people hitting um, their retirement years, and it is going to make a big impact on our economy one way or the other. And uh, so it kind of tilts the debate on whether the participation rate can fully rebound along with the improving economy as retired retired workers are unlikely to reenter the workforce, you know, according to this economist at uh, at RBS Securities. You know, a tighter supply of workers means wage pressures would build faster than otherwise would happen. Um, you know, so it, it, it's a, it's an interesting phenomena, you know. And, I mean, I think what it means is there's going to be very little inflation in wages. There's just going to be weak wages. People aren't going to get a lot of raises because there's not going to be such a demand for for those jobs. It's going to push up in, uh, wages. Um, you know, even when employment situation when the employment situation does improve and the jobs prospects improve it's unlikely this group is going to be enticed back into labor market so the implication is you know if they're out for good you may not have as much slack in the labor market as you think as well yeah so there's a couple of different ways of looking at this yeah they're done they're out of there they're they're gone they're on the beach somewhere yeah. playing golf yeah. hopefully they plan well yeah I, you know it's uh, it's interesting the labor force participation rate for all ages was uh, 63% last month, and that's within uh, 0.2 percentage points of its lowest level since March of 1978. I mean, that's it's just amazing. And, and workers who are marginally attached to the labor workforce, that that's people who are, are not looking for work but who would still take a job if one were available, uh, have a 62% transition rate into the workforce. Um, in contrast, those who have dropped out completely and don't want a job are not looking – uh, and they're not looking for one, have a 5% transition rate. So what that's telling wow. us is uh, the folks that are done are done, basically. That's right. They've they're, moved on. They're not coming back. You know, we see it every day. Everybody knows somebody that's retired, and maybe they went early because, 
you know, their job got rough or they, they got laid off and couldn't find work and they worked for, looked for a little while, but they didn't look as hard, you know? I mean, they weren't committed because they knew they had a fallback position and that was retirement. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the term, interesting enough, John, the term baby boomer refers to a, the cohort of people born between 46 and 64 when there was a dramatic increase in birth rates following World War II. I mean, most people know that, right? The generation grew up in a time marked by change and protest, ranging from the civil rights movement in Vietnam War um, to a counterculture popularized by former Harvard University uh, psychologist Timothy Leary's phrase, tune in, tune out, drop out. Mm-hmm. I never heard that. I hadn't either. It's pretty interesting. You know, they embraced the drug use and questioned authority but Rebels. interesting history there on it. But, yeah, there's a huge wave of baby boomers coming in, leaving the workforce. And I think it's going to be a lot of opportunity, though, for, mm-hmm. for young people. I think so. If you get the right skills, those people, they're going to be hard to fill those jobs. Yeah. So they, it, they just they need be. to work. To, they need to want to work. Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a good problem to have for young people. It's a it's kind of a interesting problem for the economy. Yeah. The, the sheer size of the, the boomer generation is really overshadowing the fact that participation rates for older workers, although lower than the other age groups, have been steadily rising during the past couple of decades. I mean, workers 55 years and older are projected to make up about 25 percent of the labor force in just a matter of about eight years versus about 21% in, uh, in 2012. So, uh, you know, Steve, we see, you know, folks, there's just a mass. So there's a wave of folks going through yep. um, for the baby boomers, and they're affecting uh, Medicare and Social Security. Well, they're also affecting the, uh, the workforce as well. That's right. Yeah, it's been a very dramatic change in labor force participation because we've had this a very dramatic change in the demographics. Um while some Americans may choose re- to retire, others may be driven into it by unemployment following the deepest recession since the Great Depression. Some 44% per- of older Americans stopped looking for work a year into their job hunt, and those with access to faster exits through Social Security benefits or pensions, they quit searching even sooner. Um, you know, they really don't have the stomach for a very long s- job search, they're saying here. And if they're eligible for Social Security, they kind of like give up and just say, I'm going to retire. Yeah. I'm out of there. You know, so the slower workforce growth may limit gains in, in the domestic product, um, the the GDP uh, growth to 2.6% on average over the next eight years, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, and they're comparing that to a 3.1% rate in the decade leading up to the recession. So they're projecting a little longer, a little slower growth mm-hmm. going forward as a result of all these baby boomers. But, you know, there are some silver linings to it too, though. Yeah, my, my yeah. guess is, as I look at this, um, some of the people that are retiring have, have pensions. Uh, maybe they have, uh, you know, uh, their, their spouse is still alive. They can get two Social Securities. They have some investments. But, um, you know, still not all baby boomers are counting down the days until retirement. Almost half of those still employed say they don't expect to retire until they're, you know, age 66 or older, including some who will say they say that they'll never stop working. That's according to a, a Gallup poll. 
And and my guess is, Steve, they those folks probably don't have investments, um, right? Or maybe they're single, or they don't have pensions, so they're they're forced to um, to continue to work. So I think the good news is is the the four one k balances are are up. Well, they are up, and you know, here's what I'm going to leave it with, though, John. I think it's a silver lining uh, overall because now you have this huge wave of retirees that are going to be retiring, opening up new jobs for, for younger people with the right skills. I think over time, people will start filling those voids, right, because they're going to get the jobs over five years. They're they're going to start going into those areas to get those high-paying jobs that are being vacated. And and then what's going to happen is all these retirees are going to start spending their 401ks. That's mm-hmm. a lot of money going to mm-hmm. start being spent out of 401ks. So you're going to have, I think the demand for a lot of goods and services are going to increase. Yeah. Because you're going to have people coming into the workforce, you're going to have people leaving the workforce, spending their 401ks. And then, then you should have unemployment going down because young folks are coming in. Right. And- it's going to be an adjustment. I think there's going to be about a five-year adjustment here, and I think the end result is going to be good for the economy. Yeah. We're eternal really optimist. Do. Yeah, we are. We are. I really do. I think it's a silver lining. I think it's, it's going to be 75 degrees next week, too. <laughs> it could. I hey, think it is, actually. It's February. Hey, man. Yeah. It's February in Augusta. I mean... That's what happens eventually after all the ice melts. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been this week's edition of Money MD with John and Steve. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescription for your financial health. And check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you at info at moneymd.net. Or just give us a call, John and Steve at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Stay tuned for Doug Allen and the Spirit of Racing coming right up. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC.